to step up, take control of your business, and decide to be your very best as a leader right now. So this is the Lead Now podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Payton. And today I have the great pleasure of speaking with my friend, Tracy Call. Tracy is the CEO and founder of Media Bridge Advertising, an award-winning media buying, production, and creative agency. She's a media maverick, a top negotiator, and has been honored for her exceptional leadership by Minnesota Business. Tracy, thanks so much to, uh, for your time joining us on the show today. Well, thanks for having me. And if you could send me that intro, uh, I'd like to repurpose that as, as a good one. If you'd like to re-record, I'd be happy to do so. Uh, no, no, that was spot on. I really like that. That crazy call must be pretty cool. <laughs> oh, I, just, I just read it exactly as your team writes it. So it's all good. <laughs> I want to I want to go into the way back machine as we start this conversation and have you share with me and the listener how your journey began as an entrepreneur and a leader. Go go all the way back to your first memories of leadership and business and all that stuff. I think that my story probably starts out like a lot of entrepreneurs and that I am an accidental entrepreneur. I Growing up, had no intention of owning a business or running a business, especially a business of this size. I have no business degree. So this is just as much a surprise to me as it probably is my parents. I always wanted to be a private detective. Think Olivia Benson, Law & Order, running out the door, you know, cool sport coat flowing in the wind to solve problems and save people. I, I think that a lot of that vision uh, is coming to fruition in the job that I have now in running the business. I think we are saving people and solving problems and doing all of those things, but it's still late nights and lots of action. So as a young woman, when you were fantasizing about being a sporty TV detective, you know, and you're, I know you have an athletic background, as you think about other leaders or coaches or mentors that were influential to you, how did you begin to formulate your first perception of what leadership was? I think it was uh, mostly how that leader made me feel hmm. and the confidence and the autonomy and the trust that I established between some of my first leaders in my career. And I hope that that's carried over. I think that we all take little bits and pieces of different leaders that we've encountered, whether or not we're working alongside them or they're a client or they're, they're a former boss of ours. I've tried to take little pieces of every good leader that I have encountered in my life and put that together and package it up in my own way. When people ask me, you know, who has been your biggest influence to me, there's just not one person. It's a menagerie of people that I've worked side by side with. But I think it really does boil down to how they made me feel. Mm. And uh, I try to, I work hard every day. One of our core values is lead with heart. And I try to make people feel loved and supported and confident and give as much autonomy as we can. And um, at the end of the day, I want people to feel good about what they do and, and mm. who they're helping and who they are as people too. One of our passion at Media Bridge is to inspire growth. And that's what I hope I'm doing as a leader. Yeah. And, and if you were to try and think about that menagerie of leaders that made you feel those ways as you were growing up and learning how to do what it is you do today, 
and I asked you to describe the techniques they were using or the approaches they were taking that made you feel that way. What are the kinds of things you you describe? A lot of listening, hmm. a lot of asking questions back at me instead of just solving problems for me. Hmm. You know, how, how would you solve that problem? How would you think through that problem? And that early on helped me to really learn how to problem solve on my own and not just depend on somebody else to tell me what to do or what the right thing to do was. Mm. I think that also letting me fail. I'm sure that there were times when, you know, my leaders or management, when I was working as a radio sales executive, let me go into a pitch knowing that I hadn't perfectly positioned it or, you know, I was bringing the wrong opportunity to the wrong client. And I remember many conversations with Sonia Ungerman who is one of my mentors. She was general manager at iHeart. When I talk about listening and trust and autonomy and letting me fall a little and then really just being there to help, you know, not pick me up, but stand alongside me and tell me how to get up, mm. you know, and really encouraging me to put one foot in front of the other. I think about her a lot and I think about her and then I think about leaders that I was not inspired by mm. and you know, some of the lessons I learned there as well. Yeah. Give us the don't do's. I think, like I said, just really like solving the problem for me right. because a lot of times as leaders, and I've done this and I probably still do it sometimes, I don't ask enough questions to help solve that problem. I just think I know the answer, right? But maybe I don't know the answer because I haven't dug deep enough and asked the right questions to really understand what is the root of the problem? Like, let's get to the root of the issue before we start solving these surface level problems. Yeah, and when a, when a leader does that, how does that, you've, you've told us how it makes you feel when somebody encourages you and builds you up and all of those things. How does it make you feel when they solve the problem for you or brush you aside and take care of it themselves? I think in the beginning, there's an instant gratification of, okay, problem solved, I'll move on. But typically what happens is it doesn't work out. And then when it doesn't work out and somebody's given you advice, then whose fault is it, right? It's their fault because they told me what to do. They didn't ask the right questions. It didn't work out. It's their fault. So I think that's where that resentment comes in mm. between a contributor and a leader when a leader is trying to lead through problem solving as opposed to getting to the root of the issue or letting your team member or coworker really figure it out on their own by asking all the right questions yeah. and then putting it back on them to make their own decision and solve their own problems. So, so that's great. And I like to start there at those early formative years of trying to figure what leadership means out. And now I want to come into the present day and help the listener understand who you are and what your business does a little bit. So tell us a little bit about Media Bridge Advertising. What does the company do? We are an unfull service ad agency. So what that means is we handle three areas of marketing very well. We're A players in those three marketing areas. And you clearly identified them in the brilliant intro. So thank you again. We are media buyers and planners. We have creative services, including graphic design and video, and also new media, also known as social media, but so much more. What we don't do is digital search engine marketing and paid or earned media and PR. It's my belief that those are very special, unique niches. I will say that when I first started the agency, I had this grandiose idea that I was going to be a big full service ad agency. And through 
trial and error and making mistakes and understanding my capabilities as a leader very quickly realized that I can't lead a full service ad agency if I can't manage each piece of that. Mm. And so we've just really focused as a leadership team on what are the three areas that we are A players in that we can over deliver for clients. And so that's why we like to coin ourselves as the unfull service ad agency. Yeah. And who's the typical client? Who do, what kind of organizations or people do you work with most often? We're really all over the board. Uh, some agencies focus on a specific category or niche. Some agencies are just digital or just media buying or they're just creative. Really, our ideal client is a small to medium-sized business that's looking to grow fast, and we want to grow alongside them. Hmm. We you know, focus in the U.S. We're in almost every major market. Our headquarters is here in Minneapolis, but we are a national agency. The majority of our revenue in our business is outside of the Twin Cities of Minnesota. That changed, right? When I first started the agency and it was, and I was on my own, 80% was in Minneapolis, 20% was out of market. Now it's probably the opposite mm. where 20% of our revenue is here in Minnesota and the rest is national. But, you know, we, we take a very unique approach to what we do. We take a local approach to national media buying, which is very rare. And I think that it goes back to the fact that we really do care and the best marketing strategy is to care. Uh, so where most national agencies are buying spots and dots and plug and plays and you know making one phone call to a national rep firm and deploying into 200 markets takes them 24 hours, we literally go into each market and hand buy and hand select custom mm. media mixes for every one of our clients, mm. which takes an enormous amount of time, but we've never been fired from a client in mm. 10 years. We turned 10 last month, and I don't think there's one ad agency on the planet that can say they've never been fired from a client. So I think that approach has really helped us. That's that's cool. Thank you. Uh, how many people in the agency today? We have about 30. Yeah, that's amazing. So accidental entrepreneur to running a 30-person unfull service agency. That's an amazing story. Your role in the business today? I am straddling the line of visionary integrator right now. Mm. So I uh, am one of those unicorn, uniquely qualified visionary types that can also function very well in the integrator role. So I am having a very hard time letting go of the vine, but my integrator, who is the VP of marketing here, is such an amazing fit and human, and she's fully capable. You know, we're, we're in that transition process right now, and I think there's some guilt uh, on my end of being that visionary and what that means and the perception that that gives mm. and like, what does that really mean? And so I'm having an interpersonal struggle with really letting go of the last piece of integrator that I'm holding yeah. on to. So I really appreciate the vulnerability. I want to pause for a minute and for the listener that doesn't know what the term visionary or integrator means yet, I'll explain that the visionary is typically the founding entrepreneur who's a 30,000 foot view strategic thinker, big ideas, what's next, why can't we do that kind of person. What they're not great at, what they don't love is driving accountability day to day, keeping the trains running on time, driving accountability amongst the leadership team. And that is a role typically held by an integrator. And so talk to me about the pain you're feeling or the difficulty you're having letting go and this, this guilt you're feeling. What, how's that manifesting itself? I think part of it is that this is my baby 
and to let go really feels like I'm letting go. I also feel like there's this perception of what a visionary is like on the golf course every day, not checking in, not present, not caring about the company or the team. And I know that's not true. I know that every company has its own definition of visionary, but for me, I just, I, I'm not ready to stop working in or on the business, but I do know that it was going to be the best for the business for me to finally pass this baton and let yeah. go of the vine because the things that you mentioned are exactly where I'm burnt out. I am burnt out of driving accountability. I am burnt out from leading, you know, big projects across leadership team. And I think it's been 10 years of building the business and doing that day to day while also operating the business. Yeah. And, you know, being a media buyer for, you know, over half of that time too. And I'm still playing account executive role for some legacy accounts. So it's just a lot. So it's time yeah. and I'm ready and it's happening in 2021. Yeah. Good for you. So a couple of points for you and the listener. Number one, what you're feeling is something I've heard from almost every visionary going through the letting go of the vine process. <laughs> so not unusual at all. Number two, the whole purpose of letting go isn't to go to the golf course or abdicate your responsibility in the business. It's to make sure the work you do in the business is the highest and best use of your unique gifts and not something that someone else could do as well or better than you and free you up to do these things that only you can do uniquely. And so my advice to you and the listener is focus on the additional time you're going to get to spend creating next level thinking, new ideas, relationships nobody in the organization today around you would think would be possible for the organization to create. Those are the things that you're going to lean into in your new role as a as a visionary. And I know you're going to be great at it and have fun at it. Doesn't mean there isn't somebody else that's going to screw up a media buy you would have hit out of the park. Those are the tough. Those are the tough ones. So no, that was that was a good therapy moment. I appreciate that. Um, And and I'm I'm unlicensed, so please you get what you pay for, Tracy. I think just like getting that permission is really important. Yeah, and I think I've gotten the permission from my leadership team. It's just I have to do it. Mm just have to do it. Well, that's a much better type of transition than being escorted out of the building. So congratulations to a more more smooth relationship with your leadership team than some people have. Tell us how what you've learned in your life as a person observing leaders, you've been able to manifest itself in the building of your 30-person organization. What are you trying to do actively as a leader that comes from your history of watching others? I really do think it is our passion or our mission, which is to inspire growth. I am part of entrepreneur organization, which is EO. And I have a lot of amazing leaders in the forum that I'm in. I like to call it my own little personal board of directors. As leaders, you sit at the top and it's very lonely sometimes. And and there's very few people to talk to. So I have a great group of leaders that I trust and respect that I lean on a lot and have gotten a lot of really great ideas from them on how I can show up better as a leader and they hold me accountable to that. Um, One of the things that I'm doing right now that was inspired by another leader who's also happens to be my implementer, um, Dan Moshe, 
is implementing Media Bridge Dreams program, which is basically a personal plan for the team. So I have been executing a personal plan or in EOS language, a VTO for team members where we help identify, well, we go through and we discuss what are your core values. Some of my younger employees have never thought about that, you know, and we literally create a 10-year goal. We break it down to a three-year goal. We break it down to one year. We break it down to goals and rocks. And that I think has been one of the most fulfilling things that I've done in a long time. Totally inspired by a leader in the community that I love and respect. Hmm. And I could give you more examples of some really amazing ideas uh, that I've that I've had from other leaders. But again, it just it comes down to caring. Yeah. And yeah. you know, the best marketing strategy is to care, and the best strategy for keeping the team intact is to care. And I try to take little nuggets of how I see other leaders showing how much they care and appreciate their teams and try to activate that too. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, and then it, it all goes back to that awareness you developed early on of the difference between a great leader and a not great leader is how it makes you feel and caring drives all of that. So yeah. uh, really cool stuff. What's the hardest thing you've had to do as a leader building this agency? Mm, that's a really good question. I think it's a timely question too, because uh, we are right now as a leadership team and I am personally and my integrator also, we're hitting the ceiling mm. and it's a really scary time. It's a very scary time, especially in the middle of a pandemic, you know, depending on when you're listening to it, it's 2020. <laughs> We're in the middle of a pandemic, <laughs> FYI, you know, going into a very touchy election year and we're hitting the ceiling. Uh, we're 10 years old and I sometimes feel a little out of control and frustrated and I'm not showing up as a leader the way that I want to. And so last week I had a big conversation with a leadership team and started out with an apology. I'm sorry that I have been a jerk, but here's why. I think we're hitting the ceiling. And I literally went back into my EOS manual, page seven, and looked at, what is it, the five leadership the five leadership abilities. Ability, yep. abilities. And went through those one by one and reread that because that's early on in my leadership process was identifying those. And I haven't gone back to look at those in probably three to five years. Mm -hmm. And so, I had to really reevaluate everything. And from that, my integrator and I are going to get together on Sunday and sit down and look at the accountability chart and rewrite roles and responsibilities and take another stab at this because it's important. And I think that this time right now has been one of the most difficult, you know, navigating through a pandemic, keeping a business yeah. operating, work, learning how to work remote while also hitting the ceiling. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I would say right now, honestly, is has been one of the most challenging yeah. times in my leadership life. Interesting. And the ironic thing is, is that as a company, we're doing really well. Yeah, yeah. So filling in a couple of blanks, five leadership abilities, simplify, is everything as simple as it could be? Delegate, have you let go of the things you should let go of? Predict, how good are you at long-term predicting, setting and achieving objectives, and short-term predicting, recognizing, prioritizing, and resolving issues for the long-term and greater good? Systemize, have you documented 
simplified and gotten followed by all your core processes. So the basics are done well every time. And then structure, what's the right structure for our organization? Is it the simplest and best structure to execute on our business journey for the next six to 12 months, which is a question we ask quarterly in the EOS process. And so you're examining the answers to those questions and prioritizing some activities that'll convert you to yes, is what it sounds like. Yes, you're right. Yes. And I was reading through all five of those a couple nights ago, and it reminded me that all those things you just said, that is not easy. That is a lot. (laughs) So I think as leaders, we have to, gosh, we have to pat ourselves on the back every once in a while and say, you are not going to be perfect. It is okay. These are a lot of skills. These are a lot of things to put in place. These are a lot of things that if done perfect, there still could be issues within the organization and within the company. And I think one of the most important ones in this is the predict. And that's where I'm at right now. I am seeing into the future and am a little bit worried with structure and my inability to delegate and elevate because my integrator can't delegate and elevate. And then now what happens? We are a bottleneck or as somebody I was talking to yesterday said, we're literally like, we're the clogged leadership toilet right now. Right. (laughs) And like, that's a lovely visual. (laughs) We're coming in there and we're plunging that toilet, but like, it just keeps getting clogged. So, okay, now what? Now we need to figure out uh, something else. And that's how it feels. That's great stuff. Well, while I'm not trying to depress you or anybody else, mustering the energy to get better at those five things today doesn't fix the problem for longer than a year or two. Because if you're running a growing agency, you're going to get stuck periodically for the rest of your career. And you're going to need to go back and do this tough work all over again the world becomes complex fast. And uh, that's our job. And I'm enjoying you telling the story of your journey on that job. So that's really fun. Thank you. Thank you. You mentioned the pandemic and yes, it is 2020. And yes, we do want our money back 2020. (laughs) What is the scariest thing you had to contend with as you were navigating your agency through the earliest days of the crisis? I think the scariest thing was really just the uncertainty of it all, which is I'm sure almost everybody's answer, but I was really worried about my people and I was really worried about our clients and our partners who we have such strong relationships with. If in order for our agency to work, everybody has to be working together. Everybody has to have a seat at the table. Everybody has to be accountable and showing up we are really a well-oiled machine, both internally and externally. And so I was worried about the people personally and professionally. And if a piece of that cog were to fall out, how that would totally and completely disrupt our processes and our ability to solve problems for our clients. You know, I think not everybody is qualified or equipped or has the ability to work from home And I worry about, you know, people on the team that are single and alone for months at a time. I worry about clients and entrepreneurs that I know that have put their entire life on the line to grow their business that, you know, we're potentially facing losing that business. And I can't imagine what that would feel like. So all that uncertainty really was weighing very heavy on my mind. But I will say that my team rallied above and beyond my wildest dreams and expectations. Every single one of our core values came into play 
And we really, truly, honestly leaned on those core values to help us navigate through a very difficult time. And one of the things I'm um, very grateful for is the fact that I'm surrounded by entrepreneurial leaders who are used to uncertainty and used to things they can't control and used to being afraid and moving forward anyway. So my question to you is, where do you go for inspiration when you know you need to move forward and everything about the rest of the world tells you you shouldn't or it's scary or you have a good excuse not to? Where, how, do you, how do you muster the courage to move forward anyway? I just don't think that I had a choice. I mean, this is it for me. So it literally was one day at a time, making sure we were doing the right thing and, you know, showing up and being present. For me, there wasn't like a magic bullet or a strategy or anything in particular. It literally was, because there's no playbook for this. And it literally was just working my butt off my team worked their butts off I mean, we were working 20 hour days. And I think it was just putting the time in. And again, it goes back to caring, you know, yeah. really caring, but I'm not going to lie. I lots of sleepless nights, lots of, you know, negative thoughts going through my, yeah. my brain, but you just have to keep doing it. You know, I tried out for the Olympic bobsled team leading up to the 2010 Olympics. When I went to my first camp, I was 150 pounds and I was running the 30 meter dash at 4.2 seconds. You know, the ideal bobsledder is 180 and you should be under a four second for a 30 meter, meter dash. And what they said to me is, okay, go home this summer, put on 30 pounds and get faster. I'm like, oh, okay. I have to put on weight and run faster. <laughs> What's the plan for that, you know? Yeah, for and, the record, I could help you with the first part of that, Tracy. <laughs> it is, it's like going through big, huge issues and obstacles. Like, it's the same thing, right? It's yeah. just you get up every day and you do it. And you do it when you don't want to do it because you have your eye on the prize and you just keep doing it. It's called grit. Yeah. And that's what it really comes down to. Uh, that's uh, fabulous. Thank you. So you brought this conversation to your life outside the business, and I'm glad you did. And, and I, I want to pull on that competitive streak thread of yours in your experiences as a bobsledder and a rugby player and a competitive athlete. What have you learned that served you well in business? And what have you learned that maybe isn't serving you well? Oh, boy. I think that I have the same answer for both. I think my overly competitive nature has served me very well, and it's also not served me well. <laughs> and I can elaborate if you want, but I'm I, sure you can only imagine. I, I, so I'd love one <laughs> example of where it hasn't served you well. Come up with one example of where you went, oh, maybe that was a little too competitive. Yeah, early on in my career as an agency owner, I think that I was really out to get my clients the best deal I possibly could with fierce, fierce, fierce negotiations. Mm -hmm. And I definitely know that I took some of those negotiations too far mm. where I probably, I know I burned a bridge with a media vendor and you know, that then leads to future issues with trust and wanting to help me so I can help my clients. And frankly, I was a jerk hmm. back in 2010. I learned a lot from that. I literally, it was all about getting the best deal at any cost. Yeah. 
and my clients loved it, right? They loved right. the stories and they would love to sit in on these negotiations and listen and they thought it was great, right? But it didn't really feel good to me at the end of the day. And it became very clear early on in my career that that was not going to serve me long-term. Mm. So as we are still fierce negotiators and we still absolutely approach every media buy and every negotiation with a competitive attitude, there's pieces of that that have come out of the process, so to speak. So, so, you know? so what I'm, I'm hearing you say, and I'm going to put this in athletic terms, when you have your eyes focused on the prize, you need to be aware that the immediate prize right in front of your face is just part of a series of prizes you're trying to achieve long term. And you don't want to throw the season away to win one game, for lack of a better totally. term. That couldn't be more spot on. All right. That's really helpful. All right. Last leadership question. You've learned a lot as a leader in business. How has it affected your life outside of business with your family and your friends and whatever passions you're pursuing outside of work? Yeah, I, I, have, I have two answers for that. I think the first is you realize really quick who you want to spend your time with. And I want to come to work as a leader and show up and spend my time with people I enjoy being around. And as a leader, you have very limited personal time. And so it really helped me narrow down who do I really want to spend my time with. And I just, I don't have time to waste spending time with people that don't align on core values. But I think the, the bigger personal connection between leadership and how I show up is with my family. I think that I have learned so much running a company and I think personal and professional bleed in together more than we're all even willing to admit. I think that when my son was adopted, I completely flipped the switch on that competitive attitude. And I would think through how would I behave as a leader if my son were right next to me witnessing mm. my behavior. Wow. And my son's name is Lincoln and I would call it the Lincoln lens. Right. Mm. So if I was in a situation where I felt myself going there, I would internally say, how would you deal with this if your son were next to you? And I think that has really helped me show up as a more compassionate leader, as a leader that really wants to solve the root issues of problems. And it go every, it all comes back to caring and making sure that I'm a good role model, not only for my child, but also for my team, because what we do as leaders is passed down. It's passed down within our companies. It's passed down within our families. And so if our leadership team is behaving poorly, it is probably a direct reflection on how we're behaving as leaders, yeah. which is why I apologize to my leadership team this week. Oh, Tracy, that's gold. The Lincoln lens is fabulous. And, and, uh, Honestly, it's been a great pleasure having a conversation with you again. Thank you for spending time with us today. Where can our listeners go to learn more about MediaBridge Advertising and or about you? Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah. MediaBridgeAdvertising.com is our website. We are on LinkedIn. We are on Facebook. We are on TikTok. We are on all those social channels that are so amazing. And um, if anybody wants to reach me directly, you can email me, Tracy, at MediaBridgeAdvertising.com. 
or my cell phone is 612-210-9438. Send me a text. I don't check voicemail. Awesome. I'm old enough to remember the 800 number, so you might as well have just <laughs> throw that one in there too. So thank you all for listening. I hope you got as much out of today's conversation as I did. Just remember the world needs all of us to lead now more than ever. And so here's hoping today's podcast helps you get better at that every single day. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you, Peyton. If you got value from today's episode, do me a favor. Open your podcasting app and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. If you've already subscribed, please subscribe one of your friends. 